Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome again to the Explaining History podcast, and today we're going to look at the relationship between uh, the Communist Party uh, in the Soviet Union and the uh, Soviet peasantry at the, start, at the end of the 1920s and just at the very beginning of the period of collectivization. And I'm going to be looking at Harvest of Sorrow by Robert Conquest. Now, for those who are scholars of the Holodomor or any of the Soviet famines, uh, Robert Conquest's name will be uh, very, very familiar. But for those who aren't, Robert Conquest, one of the kind of primary historians of Stalinism in, uh, in the 20th century, um, somebody with first-hand experience of the Soviet Union, um, very um, renowned historian on the subject of um, the Soviet famines, one who has courted uh, great controversy on the subject of the extent to which the Holodomor is a, a genocide. Um, so if you are studying this topic, if you are embedded in famine studies, Harvest of Sorrow is an essential book and well worth reading. So we start off reading from Conquest um, at the beginning of the book when he begins to discuss the relationship between the peasantry and the party. At the beginning of 1927, the Soviet peasant, whether Russian, Ukrainian, or of other nationality, had good reason to look forward to a tolerable future. The land was his. He was reasonably free to dispose of his crop. The fearful period of grain seizure, of peasant risings, suppressed in blood, of devastating famine were over, and the Bolshevik government seemed to have adopted a reasonable settlement of the countryside's interests. Now, it's interesting that Robert Conquest first uses that terminology, that there was a reasonable settlement, that the um, the Bolsheviks had somehow compromised uh, with the peasants. They hadn't uh, got uh, the kind of uh, relationship with the Soviet peasantry that they wanted, one which was basically um, where the... Uh, the state was the sole landowner, but um, following the disasters of uh, war communism and the uh, partial uh, recovery of the new economic policy period, where peasants were allowed essentially to be their own small traders, 
um, the um, the hunger in the Soviet Union, while not completely alleviated, had um, stepped back from um, a, a point of almost of, of almost in some places actual starvation. Um, the the price that Lenin has to pay through this kind of strategic retreat is to allow, in the eyes of the party, a generation of petty bourgeois small capitalists in the countryside to emerge. Because the difference between the peasants before the revolution and after it is before the revolution, there had not been the kind of land seizures which gave the peasants the possibility of owning capital, of being able to have surpluses to be able to have um, wealth, to be able to buy more property. So as far as the Bolsheviks were concerned, and later the, the Stalinists, the existence of uh, relatively affluent peasants in the countryside was a mortal risk to the revolution, as it was going to create the wrong classes, the wrong kinds of people, and therefore the wrong kinds of political organisations that would ultimately be oppositional to the Bolshevik regime. He continues, There were, it was true, many imperfections in the prospect before him. The authorities were changeable and inconsistent in their price and tax policies, and suspicions of the long-term intention of their long-term intentions could not be wholly put aside. The government and its agents remained alien to the peasant, as governments always had been. Uh, the vlast or power to be watched with circumspection and handled with care and cunning. But meanwhile, there was comparative prosperity. Under the new economic policy which granted the peasant his economic freedom, the ruined countryside had made a great recovery. All in all, it was a moment to savour. For the first time in history, almost all the country's land was in possession of those who tilled it, and its produ product at their disposal. And if Ukrainian they were, in their national capacity, in a far better position than at any time since the extinction of the remnants of the old Ukrainian state a century and a half before. Now, at least their language and culture were allowed to flourish. It was, paradoxically, I guess, um, one of the uh, intentions, one of the imperatives of the Bolsheviks to stamp out one of the uh, few great achievements of the revolution, which was the democratisation of land ownership. Now, in order to understand the antipathy of the party to the peasantry, you need to go back for before um, the revolution uh, and look at the experience um, and the views of the Russian intelligentsia uh, towards the, the, the peasantry. The intelligentsia, uh, out of the intelligentsia, come the revolutionary movements, on, one of which is the, uh, the Bolshevik uh, party. The Russian intelligentsia had basically had two uh, contrasting views of the peasantry. Um, the, the populists viewed the, um, uh, the, the peasants as the kind of the soul of the country. Uh, these were the uh, Slavophile intellectuals who saw that the peasants really were the kind of the embodiment of, of the suffering of Mother Russia. They were good and uh, wholly innocent. It was a kind of a, a very paternalistic, patronising view of and wildly unrealistic view of them. Um, and they were the hope of uh, Russia's future, uh, untainted, and it was kind of romanticised you, untainted by the kind of the encroachments of, of modernity. Um, however, 
uh, Lenin uh, and uh, his uh, fellow travellers uh, were rather more of the view that these kind of backward, savage, Asiatic barbarian, there was more than a little kind of um, uh, uh, Russo-centric racist sentiments towards the peasants. Um, Even those that were Russian were somehow kind of uh, written off as being um, more Asian, more kind of uh, something from Siberia and the the Khanates and uh, Central Asia than really Russian. Um, there's an interesting parallel with this in Spain uh, in the latter part of the 19th century, first part of the 20th century, when the Spanish landlords don't look at the Spanish peasants as being Euro- European people. They think that they are somehow the Moors or something to do with the Jews or uh, something kind of foreign and other and dark. Um, and uh, this, this is the kind of the othering and dehumanisation of the peasantry um, by um, either landed gentry classes or intelligentsia. Um, you find versions of it uh, uh, across Europe. Um, these kind of dark people, these backward, uh, ignorant, uh, unenlightened people who live in squalor, have short lifespans, um, and are illiterate and um, uh, are more fond of the bottle than they are of um, self-advancement. They're an impediment to progress, and they're a reactionary grouping. That if the Tsar, um, if they, if if the Tsar asked them to um, violently uh, repress the uh, progressive bourgeoisie, uh, then they would do, um, because not understanding that their class interests are not aligned with that of the Tsar. So there, they there was nothing that Lenin thought about the peasants other than they would, if they, if necessary, have to be battered into line, have to be educated um, in revolution uh, the hard way. The the much larger uh, socialist revolutionary party in nineteen seventeen nineteen eighteen um, believed that the the peasants had a valuable role to play in the development of a new Russia. Uh, Lenin was not convinced. Nor were other Marxists. Uh, Robert Conquest writes, The townsman, particularly the Marxist townsman, uh, was not even consistent in his view of what was wrong with the peasantry, varying between apathetic and stupidly greedy and competitive. Maxim Gorky, giving a view shared by many, felt that the fundamental obstacle in the way of Russian progress towards westernization and culture lay in the dead weight of illiterate village life which stifles the town, and he denounced the animal-like individualism of the peasantry and the peasants' almost total lack of social consciousness. He also expressed the hope that the uncivilised, stupid, turgid people in the Russian villages will die out. All those almost terrifying people I spoke of above and a new race of literate, rational, energetic people will take their place. Um... Gorky speaks in some very revealing language um, about not just about the advance uh, of um, socialism in Russia, the advance of a, um, a a modern socialist state, but the um, the advance of modernity itself. That modernity would uh, sweep away backward uh, backwardness. Conquest also writes, the founder of Russian Marxism, Georgi Plekhanov, saw them as barbar- barbarian tillers of the soil cruel and merciless, beasts of burden, 
whose life provided no opportunity for the luxury of thought. Marx had spoken of the idiocy of rural life, a remark much quoted by Lenin. Um, you have to see that one in context, that what Marx meant was not that people in the countryside are idiots, but he talked about the... Um, he was referring really to the kind of uh, lack of education um, and the... Um, the fact that when capitalism had happened in countries like Great Britain, um, that the peasantry had been actually freed, um, whilst they found fairly unpleasant conditions in cotton mills and shipyards and things like that in towns and cities, they had been freed from what he called the idiocy of rural life, um, the, the, uh, the backwardness of, of rural life, and at least there was the opportunity for them to become uh, a working class with um, their own institutions and politics and that kind of thing that Marx thought would bring about revolutions. Um, it was not really that, that Marx was on this, this kind of anti-peasant um, crusade that uh, later Russian Marxists found themselves on. Lenin referred to the rural seclusion, unsociability and savagery of peasants, and in general... He believed that the peasant, far from being an instinctive or traditional collectivist, is in fact fiercely and meanly individualistic. While of a younger Bolshevik, uh, while a younger Bolshevik, Khrushchev tells us, for Stalin, peasants were scum. This individualism idea comes up a, a couple of times. What was the problem that Lenin had with that? Well, the whole point of building socialism in Russia was it was uh, meant to be a uh, an enterprise based in collectivism and based in shared toil shared sacrifice in the interests of building a future state a future society a future utopian um, uh, communist uh, society um, that sacrifice in the present would justify Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Gain in the future. And the tendency of peasants to do things like store their grain, which in the eyes of the Bolsheviks was hoarding during times of famine, or to store their grain when grain prices fell below a price where it made it any sense for them to sell it. This, in the eyes of Lenin, was uh, you know unforgivable individualism uh, that they were incapable of thinking about anything more than their own self-interest. How far that can be said of most people, 
during the upheavals of the Russian Revolution? I'm not sure. Probably there were more uh, social classes than simply the peasantry thinking of themselves. In the long run, what Lenin wanted was uh, an elimination of the peasantry. Uh, this hopefully would happen by the modernization of society, the mechanization of agriculture, and the flow of um, human beings from the countryside to towns and cities, as had happened throughout the Western world. Once this occurred, large, uh, there would be a large proletariat to work in factories and uh, adopt proletarian values and become the support base of the Communist Party. Um, in, at first, Lenin uh, attempted to understand the peasantry in Marxist terms and to work out the ways in which they could be used before they were finally uh, transformed into a social class that was far more useful. Um, Lenin, no doubt, um, was willing to, and certainly did, use coercive violence for those who didn't see the future quite in the same way as, as he did. Um, initially, Marxism... Uh, believed that the central developments in the future would consist of a, a confrontation between the working class and capitalist owners of industry. Um, Marx's main sort of contention is obviously that all history is the history of class struggle, and that in the uh, the capitalist phase of history that we currently exist in, that the proletariat and the bourgeoisie would eventually have this titanic clash and then socialism would replace capitalism. Lenin believed that the, the, the natural flow of things um, in class struggle would be that once the proletariat uh, contended in class struggle with um, the bourgeoisie, the, 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 kind of the, the high bourgeoisie, the, um, the owners of capital, the factory owners, the bankers, the financiers, then the petty bourgeoisie, the little people, the, the, the small market traders, and... In that category comes the peasantry, people that sold their surplus grain for a little bit of money. They would innately, they would naturally side with the proletariat, um, and they would do this because, as power and wealth is concentrated in fewer and fewer hands, the peasantry effectively become proletarianized. By that, the peasantry. Um, become less able to um, operate financially independently. They become less able to um, survive on, on their own terms, and they become more and more simply an agricultural working class, simply selling their labour, having less and less property and less and less capital. This is what um, Lenin uh, assumed. Marx also thought that when socialism came along, any contradictions between uh, town and country would disappear. Capitalism having already triumphed in the countryside, Marx said, it would then be replaced by a socialist victory and the countryside would then be proletarianised uh, all over again, that workers, uh, that um, peasants would become uh, liberated agricultural workers um, and that peasants um, were only like a sack of potatoes, he wrote, meaning that they existed together, uh, but were atomized into their own small little farms, small little plots, and little small holdings. Um, once the uh, individual farms 
were merged um, into uh, a unified, collectivized agricultural whole, then there would be uh, fewer differences um, and there would be um, very little chance of there, um, of there being no social development uh, in, in terms of class relations. So once you um, eliminate uh, property differences, you take away everyone's farms and, mer and merge it all into one giant national farm, then the workers, uh, the, the peasants become agricultural workers on the land and there will be um, a, uh, just as there are uh, urban workers uh, in, the, in the, the towns and cities. And so that way, class relations kind of harmonise between the towns and cities. This is what Marx theorised. Um, the result in Russia is obviously really rather different. In the Communist Manifesto uh, in 1848, uh, it suggested that there be the abolition of property in land, the improvement of the soil generally in accordance with a common plan, establishment of industrial armies, especially for agriculture, combination of agriculture with manufacturing industries, gradual abolition of the distinction between town and country. Um, so Marx meant by this that in the country, uh, just as in the town, the uh, concentration of production and employment would take place. And this again meant that um, the, uh, uh, the peasant would become the agricultural, the rural factory worker almost. Little, uh, small-scale production giving uh, diminished economies of scale um, would be uh, swept away. And um, the, I, the belief that, that Lenin had um, and that Stalin later had was that this process was how you would um, launch Russia forward as an industrial power by creating agricultural surpluses that could provide the towns and the cities with cheap food, that could provide a growing proletariat with the food to eat so that industrial production could take place. And in a way, they, they weren't wrong in that if you look at the industrialization of Europe and America, it's all based on cheap food. The, um, the only reason why industrial revolutions take place is because when there, are, uh, there is an, an urban proletariat that is not involved in agriculture, it's not involved in making food, it needs a surplus of cheap food in order to survive. Now, in Europe, uh, Western Europe and America, to some extent, uh, geography, uh, climate and other natural factors uh, made this uh, more likely. Uh, Russia had a rather unfortunate tendency about once a decade to experience um, a, a drought um, or crop failures on a large scale. And when there was uh, government interference, there were, or government sort of negligence, these things could escalate into famine conditions. It's true to say that uh, Lenin had comparatively little evidenced work on the peasantry. Um, many, uh, for, for many uh, economists of the 19th century, uh, the Russian peasantry uh, was something of a mystery. Robert Conquest writes, Lenin's general analysis of the non-Kulak peasant in Marx's terms is clear enough. He is partly a property owner, partly a worker. He does not exploit other workers. For years, he had to defend his position against the greatest odds. He suffered exploitation at the hands of the landlords and the capitalists. 
He puts up with everything. Nevertheless, he is a property owner. For this reason, the problem of our attitude to the class is one of enormous difficulty. And in a much quoted formulation, he adds, day by day, hour by hour, small scale production is engendering capitalism. And there you have Lenin's thoughts and feelings uh, about the emergence of the small scale um, farmer, the small scale peasant um, landowner um, before the revolution, that what they were doing was gradually, bit by bit, re, um, building a, a new form of agrarian capitalism. And so it's no small wonder that after the revolution, Lenin views them as an enemy social class. They're an enemy social class that controls Russia's food supply. During the uh, 19, during the Russian Civil War, um, the peasants managed to uh, nearly bring the Bolshevik regime to its knees. Only with immense violence do the, uh, does the Bolshevik regime manage to crush the peasantry. And this is a lesson that Stalin never forgot. During the First World War, it is the, essentially a food production strike by the peasantry that brings the Tsar to uh, the Tsarist regime to its knees. Um, and this was not lost on uh, the Bolsheviks either. And they looked at the immense power that the peasants had and the belief that the peasants were simply forming themselves into uh, an enemy class. Um, and it's fair to say that during, at the end, by the end of the Russian Civil War, uh, the peasantry had very little sympathy for the Bolsheviks with very, very good reason. And this together helps to explain why it was that the uh, Bolsheviks and the Stalinists saw um, such an extraordinarily brutal class warfare uh, against the peasantry as being so crucial um, that Stalin later on... Um, particularly when he met Churchill during the war, and Churchill asked him about the Kulaks, Stalin said basically it was a fight to the death, uh, and that it was the, the most essential task the state had undertaken. When at the end of the, as the, as the terror wound down, uh, during, at the end of the 1930s, uh, and many of the victims of the terror had been the, also been the victims of the anti-Kulak campaign, these were people that had, wound up going to the gulags um, after being um, thrown off the land or after being um, deported uh, during um, the famines, only to emerge from the camps um, to be rearrested and executed. Anyone with uh, kulak class origins was particularly at risk of being arrested and executed. And the point of view that um, the likes of Yezhov uh, and then Beria had uh, where that, oh, thank goodness we got this done in time for the war, because the, it, it had the Germans invaded, and these sorts of people had been around, boy, would have been, we'd have been in trouble then. So I do intend to dip back into conquest um, uh, a little bit uh, later on in the not-too-distant future, and, you know, as, as we're going through, we keep looking at Sheila Fitzpatrick's work, and the, the two of them do complement each other uh, very well. Um, so we'll we'll carry on looking at uh, conquest in depth in in the next few weeks, uh, but until then, thanks very much, and I'll be adding some more content later this week. Uh, and uh, yes, catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. All the best. Bye bye. 
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.